Are you or someone you love struggling with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, self-harm, raging ups and downs, or thoughts of suicide? Are these behaviors affecting all aspects of your life, including the relationships with those you love the most? Are you feeling hopeless and desperate for long-lasting peace and relief from your irrational behavior, but feel like the therapies you've tried have just become a short-term band-aid? I have. I've been there, and I know how you're feeling. From relationship pain and personal shame, I've been through it all. And because I've been there, I also know how difficult it can be to climb the mental wellness mountain on your own. That's why I started White Rock Mental Fitness. At White Rock Mental Fitness, you'll get personal training from someone who knows, from personal experience, how to deal with your mental health challenges. How? Just like a personal trainer helps you lose physical weight and get your body in shape, I help my clients lose mental weight and get their minds in shape, and I teach you what you need to know to stay in shape. Unlike expensive coaches and therapists, we offer affordable, customized, personal mental fitness training to guide you through the process of overcoming your specific mental health struggles. If you're ready to get happy and stay happy, visit whiterockmentalfitness.com where we help you go from barely hanging on to superhero strong. That's whiterockmentalfitness.com. there, everybody, from beautiful Cardston, Alberta, Canada. My name is Dave Miller, and welcome back to the Mentally Ill Mentor podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss the secrets of how you or someone you love can begin winning the battle with depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, and really all things related to mental health. You know, and after my own personal battle for over 20 years with those things, anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, I am now on an all-out mission to guide you and as many other people as I can in creating a life of lasting hope, joy, and purpose. And thank you so much for joining here with me again today. We have another special guest that I'm excited to introduce to you today. Her name is Angela Tabak. I have known her for quite some time. I don't remember exactly when we met, but Mm -hmm. uh, Angela, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, just wanted to pass the mic over to you to to introduce yourself to our audience today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm like you really bet. excited about this opportunity. Um, well, let me see. So my name is a- Angela Tabeck, and I live in um, Cardston, the Cardston area. Um, so yeah, we're kind of neighbors. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. And uh, yeah, I think actually the first time we met Dave was we were probably, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old because you grew up with my cousins in uh, Red Deer. Yeah. So I'm sure that I'm sure we kind of met each other uh, when we met each other again as adults. I always thought, oh, he looks so familiar. And it took us a little while to figure out that connection. But that's uh, that's kind of a cool Mm -hmm. connection for me. Um, Yeah. So just living in beautiful, as you say, beautiful Southern Alberta and, and loving it. Cool. Sounds good. Okay, so well, why don't we jump right in today? Um, you have a very unique story uh, when it comes to mental health challenges in your life and how you've been affected. And uh, again, as we talked before, I sure appreciate you being willing to come on the show and to discuss this uh, experience that you have with your mom. And um, I, uh, I know this mm-hmm. is sort of a, you know, can be a sensitive topic. And so I appreciate you being willing to discuss it. And I think there are many people that will be able to relate to different challenges this way. I wonder if we could just start with maybe sort of giving us an overview of this experience that you had when you were younger, what happened with your mom and um, kind of give us an overall picture of that. And uh, we can jump in from there. For sure. I can do that. And you know what? My story when it comes to this actually starts a little bit before okay. my mom. So um, when I was about, oh, I think, five or six years old, my grandfather, so her father, took his life. 
And, um, you know, this would have been in the late seventies. And, um, I was told that he died because he ate too much salt. And so for years as a child, I never salted my food. Like that was something I was very afraid of. And, you know, it was a very different um, mentality back then about mental illness, about suicide. It was something that was not discussed. Um, and something that was kind of, you know, you were ashamed of it. Uh, it was a family secret, that type of thing. It wasn't until I was, oh, I would have been 15 or 16. And um, I went down to Utah to visit a great uncle. So it would have been my grandfather's brother. Mm. I'd never met him or his family before. But um, my sister and I were going down for a youth conference and they lived in Provo and we were invited to come stay with them for a week before the youth conference. It wasn't until then that he told me what had actually happened. So this was something that, you know, my mother had um, and I I assume her sisters and and the rest of her family had just kind of keep kept this dark secret for so Hmm. long. Right. Um, never really dealing with it. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, at that time, when you think about the treatments that were available for the mentally ill, it wasn't mm-hmm. a good thing. You did not want to have that label, mm-hmm. right? Uh, institutionalization, lobotomies, I mean, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff, right? So, um, yeah. And I remember confronting my mom with that and saying, hey, like, Uncle Earl told me this, like, is this true? And she was very upset, very, very upset that he had talked to me about Mm. it. So it was um, about seven years later that she took her own life. Um, It was the morning of my 22nd birthday. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a shock, obviously. I, I don't know that I don't know that someone ever experiences the suicide of a family member and doesn't have that element of shock or disbelief or how could this have happened? How could I have not seen this coming? Um, But it was then that I was really faced with the reality that, Hey, wait a second. Like now we've got a pattern. Now we've got a Mm -hmm. cycle, you know, I mean, it's only two people, but, but you're kind of like, Whoa, And um, I remember like shortly after the funeral speaking with my sisters. So I'm the oldest. My parents had nine children. Um, So it was three, three girls, five boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. And um, the youngest was six years old at the time. My youngest Mm -hmm. sister was six. And so we had the range, the age range from 22 down to six. And so um, I remember speaking with my other sisters. So the three of the three Mm -hmm. oldest. And deciding right there and then that we were not going to keep this a secret, that we were going to be open about this, that we were going to discuss this, Mm. and that we were going to do everything we could to ensure that this never happens in our family. Mm -hmm. Which is a tall order for a bunch of, you know, 19, 21, 22-year-olds. Um, but that that was the decision that we made right then and there is that we never wanted this yeah. to be right. Um And of course, now we live in a day and age when it's okay to talk about these things. There is still some stigma attached, but uh, people are much more open about it and much more accepting of the fact that this is part of our life. And um, this is what I love about you, Dave, and your approach is that, uh, you know, I've read your book. And listen to your podcast and your approach is very much the same as uh, approach that we would take with um, mm-hmm. physical health, you know, that you can be mentally fit, you can be physically fit. There are things you have to do to be physically fit. There are things you have to do to be mentally fit. Um, and that's very much the approach that I have taken and tried to take with my children is that these are not things to be ashamed of. These are just things that you do to be mentally mm-hmm. fit, to be mentally healthy. So, um, yeah, that's just, that's kind of, you know, a quick synopsis of, of, um, yeah, kind of the beginning of my, my story, my experience when it comes to uh, mental wellness. Okay. Cool. Thank you. So, <coughs> excuse me. 
So you've talked about that you were 22. And actually, that's interesting because I had had somehow pictured you a lot younger than that at the time. So, uh, Hmm. So you were 22. So I'm assuming, were you living still at home or were you away from home by that time? I was actually on my way to Europe to serve a mission for our church for 18 months. So I was um, in a missionary training center at the time um, when, yeah, when she took her life. I didn't realize that. So would that have been um, down in Utah then that you were in the training center? I was in Provo. Yeah, I was in the training center in Provo. Now, I had lived away from home, uh, you know, since the time I was 19. So... Um, I had moved back home uh, for four months right before um, going on my mission, before my mm-hmm. mom passing. She was um, scheduled to have a hysterectomy and had a hysterectomy. And with all those little kids, I decided to quit my job early and come home and, and stay with them for four months, which I'm very grateful mm-hmm. I did, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, also gave me some real insight into kind of like the reasons and why and how mm-hmm. this happened. Um a lot of things that, w- that um, we're not always told when we have medical procedures and that type of thing, the risk uh, involved. And it was years later that I came across a study where um, women who have hysterectomies, their rate of suicide actually increases by quite a bit in the first six to 12 months after the procedure. Wow. And it makes sense because if you've already struggled with mental illness and you already, you know, have a propensity for that and now your hormones are, you know, completely whacked as your body makes mm-hmm. that adjustment. And I believe that that's exactly what happened to my mom. She had always struggled with some elements of mental illness, but I remember about a month before she passed, I remember her saying to me, you know, Ange. I know I have struggled with ups and I know I have struggled with downs, but she's like, I am so down. I'm not coming out Mm. of this. Like I I can't get out of it. Uh, So that was the first time that she'd ever actually spoken to me Mm. about Mm -hmm. mental health and her struggles. And, um, and I remember I had just read an article about HRT. HRT was kind of the big thing, the hormone replacement therapy for women. And I said to her, I remember this conversation because I've just gone over it in my head so many times wondering if I should regret it or not. Mm. But, but I remember saying to her, you know what? I just read this article. They have these hormone treatments. Maybe you need to go back to your doctor and tell them what's going on. Maybe they can give you something like that to kind of help you out until your body, you know, kind of kicks in and things normalize. And um, I remember her coming back from the doctor and saying, oh, he said, you know what? Like, they left my ovaries. I just need to be patient. I need to give it some time. Um, and he wouldn't give me the, the hormones. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, well, come to find out, he didn't give her the hormones, but he put her on Prozac. Oh. And we know now that someone who's struggling with bipolar, as she described to me, you know, I know I have my ups. Mm-hmm. I know I've had my downs. We know now you don't put someone on Prozac, who is struggling with bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's what she was given. And three weeks later, she took her life. Okay. So definitely seems like quite a correlation there with both things, the hysterectomy, the Prozac, the. Well, I mean, that's what the science is telling yeah, us now, yeah. right? So, Yeah. Maybe not very well known, but but yeah, I've come across both of both. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so you were um, in the missionary training center down in Utah, and then from uh, what I gathered before, mm-hmm. you came back because you said you were talking with your sisters, and so yeah, yes, yes, I came back for a week and a half. Okay, um, just to help, obviously, for, with the funeral and um, kind of spent, you know, some time yeah. with my dad who was now left at home with, uh, seven yeah. children, you know, seven broken children, um, to kind of help get things organized as best as I could before yeah. going back. So, and that must've been such an incredibly difficult thing. So you come back, you're sort of in one world of here, I'm about to be a missionary and go out and whoa, yanked out of this, uh, 
you know, one world back into your old world and here this tragedy happens. What did you do to be Mm -hmm. resilient and strong? I guess as probably one of the leaders of the family, I guess, you know, at that point in time. Well, and that's the difficulty, right? Um, And I can tell you more about that, but um, yeah, as the oldest, um, I always took responsibility for what was happening, whether it was my Mm -hmm. responsibility or not. You know, as uh, um, going back to my the time when my grandfather passed away, um, looking back now through adult eyes, I recognize that my mother went into a very deep depression. Mm-hmm. So she had she had four little kids at that time. So I was the oldest; I was about six, and I think there was four of us at that time. And you know, I remember kind of going through the cupboards and finding something to eat. And my dad was working shift work and he was starting off in his career and he's trying to support a family. Right. And going through the cupboards and finding crackers and that's what, you know, everybody had for lunch or or whatever, you know, that type of thing. So, so I really had that mindset of caretaking and, you know, having to look out for everybody and it was looking back now, I go, wow, that was really crazy. You know, I'm over in Europe and I, I'm trying to do missionary work. You know, there's some proselytizing, there's community service in um, children's hospitals and soup kitchens and that type of thing. And I'm really trying to focus on what I'm doing there. But of course, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about my younger brothers oh, and sisters yeah. the whole time. And trying to, I mean, back then we didn't have email yet. So trying to caretake through letters and, and just hearing bits and pieces of kind of all the, the chaos that was going on at home. And, um, it they really actually developed into a real, not really a not good situation for me where I became extremely codependent and carried that on for a good mm. 10 years. Um, before, before I was able to, to get some help and, and to be relieved of that. But um, yeah, yeah, it was a tough situation. At the same time, I wanted to be a good missionary. And I remember saying to myself, like, this will never be an excuse for me to not be a good missionary. You know, um, as a missionary, the schedule is quite strict. Uh, The rules are quite strict. Um, Your focus is on your work, is on serving God and serving other people. Mm -hmm. And that's where your focus is supposed to be. And so I remember telling myself, like, do not let this be an excuse. But, um, you know, I'd been over, I was in Belgium at the time, and I had been over there for probably about a good month and a half or two months. And I started having issues with a lot of nightmares and uh, waking up, uh, terror, you know, in terror, being terrorized, mm-hmm. feeling terrorized and um, not sleeping, not being able to sleep for the rest of the night or avoiding sleep you know like my my companion uh, my roommate she'd just fall right mm-hmm. asleep because we'd had a long day we'd been out all day doing this work and i would just lay there and try and stay awake as long as i could to avoid these nightmares and um finally one day i kind of broke down it was at lunch hour and i fell asleep during our lunch hour and she just let me sleep for about mm-hmm. three or four hours and i woke up and i was really upset and I was like, why did you let me do that? Like, we were supposed to be out. We're supposed to be doing this stuff. And and she said, you clearly need some sleep. Like, something's going on. Like, tell me what's going on. And so I kind of broke down and, and, and told her what, you know, I'd been dealing with at that point, probably about a good week or two. And um, come to find out the trigger in, in talking to her about this, I realized what the trigger was. The trigger was um, almost every single day, we rode our bikes past a funeral home and they would have the garage door open and the hearses, they had three or four hearses that were parked in there. And it was like every single day that we drove past there, I was having nightmares hmm. at night. And and they were very clear nightmares about my mother's death. And because my sisters and I actually dressed my mother hmm. and, and prepared her hair Mm -hmm. or whatever. And that was a traumatic experience. I did not realize how traumatizing that was until a good month Mm -hmm. or two later. Um, And so, yeah, we, 
once we switched our route, so we no longer went that way, the nightmare stopped. And I was like, okay, this is really strange. But looking back at it now, I recognize it was probably a form of PTSD. Yeah. You know, where my body was, my mind was being mm-hmm. triggered. And, and it was manifesting in these nightmares and the sleeplessness and that type of thing. So um, definitely there's been triggers throughout the years that I've had to deal with. But that's that's one that, that comes to mind quite clearly. And, and the first one that I, I recognized was really affecting me. Um, but yeah, it, there's, so you have those things. But then you also find that somewhere underneath all of that, there is mm. a strength. And, you know, I really found my strength. And I'm really grateful that I, I had the opportunity to still go on a mission. My father was completely supportive mm. of it. Um, he said, no, you've got to go back out. You've got to carry on your mm. life. And I'm really grateful that he mm-hmm. was. Um, because I was really able to, I really built a relationship with, with God, with Jesus Mm. Christ through this experience. You know, there were days when we were walking down the street and, you know, there there are people speaking a foreign language all around me and I'm walking next to my companion and maybe she's talking to somebody, she's having a discussion with them. And I'm just feeling so zoned out and so lost. And just like, I just remember like just praying, like saying this, having a prayer in my heart all the time, like, like God, just help me through this. Like, get me through this day, get me through this hour. And um, he did, he did. And I was able to complete my mission, you know, the whole 18 months. And, and I came out of it a much like I was very confident like I can do hard things this was a hard mm-hmm. thing but I did it and I can do it and I know I did not do it on my own I was surrounded by good people who were understanding and compassionate and supported me but mostly like I felt like God was with me yeah thank you for sharing that that's uh, had to be such an incredibly difficult thing to go through. And uh, your resilience and your strength comes through so clearly. And uh, yeah, I just want to acknowledge you for that. That's just something that um, is amazing. And I think maybe maybe God understands that there are some pretty tough people out there that can handle hard things, and you were one of them that uh, he knew could handle this difficult challenge. I want (coughs) to, excuse me, thank you for sharing that again. I want to go back, if we can, a little bit to uh, what you were talking about earlier when you were younger and your mom was um, not doing so well, I guess, in terms of her mood and depression. And uh, that's uh, what I had thought back to I know in discussions that we've had uh, growing up as a kid. So you talked about sort of the caretaker mentality, I guess, maybe that you began to develop out of necessity because your dad was working shift work. He was Mm -hmm. gone. You're the oldest child and somebody needed to take care of the children. And your mom, and I guess this is kind of, how can I put it? In some ways, near and dear to my heart, I've been, uh, as you know, have struggled pretty hard with depression at times, and I have felt like I have been almost mm-hmm. tied to the bed, unable to get out. Um, but uh, thankfully, Amy um, has been able to take care of the kids and, you know, kind of fulfill the two roles, I suppose, the mom and the dad, when I've been stuck in bed sometimes Mm -hmm. for months at a time. And uh, I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for you as uh, the oldest child. You know, I'm assuming that that's what it was when you talk about her being depressed, kind of stuck in bed, not really emotionally able to be too supportive, physically able to get up. um, Right. And uh, what was that like as a child? And how did that, 
what sort of thoughts did you have? And, and also I know that, um, well, maybe let's start with that one there. I was just going to say a lot of times, uh, I think as a child develops, they can take one of two paths, which is maybe subconsciously when they get older, they maybe take that same route. And when difficulties come, they lay in bed or, you take the other route and say, you know what, this isn't going to happen to me. I love my mom, but I'm a survivor, and I've got to, I've got to be up and going and doing and strong. And so, I'm curious how it's been able to, you know, has affected you that way as well. Sure. Um, well, you know what, and one of the one of the things that that kind of blew me away when my mom you know, passed away was, um, I just always thought that the way that she was, that that's just how moms are. Yeah. It was normal for you. Hey, as a kid. Yeah. As a kid, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary or anything wrong with what we were going through Mm. with what was happening. Um, now there were some things that happened, um, that were difficult that I did not like as a child that I recognized like this isn't right. Um, but I never, I never related it to like, Oh, well, this is because my mom's, you know, struggling with mental illness or whatever. <laughs> like it, to me, moms, that was just the way moms were like, you know, my mom had some great qualities. She was super mm. creative, funny, yeah. like just funny. And, um, you know, like, and she had nine kids, so, okay, she's stressed out, you know, um, but I just, I mean, I remember her writing plays that we would put on mm. and like full out productions, you know, we had this little roadshow thing at church with all the, all the youth, you cool. know, that we all yeah. put on and we went down to Edmonton, we were in Fort Murray, went down to Edmonton and we won first place nice. and, you, you know, like she was just very there was a lot more to her than just being depressed right, sometimes. Right. And I recognize now that some of those things were maybe because mm. of mania, you know, where she would be super creative. She'd be up all night writing songs mm-hmm. or writing, you know what I mean? Um, and then she would have her low moments, but I just never thought that that was anything out of the ordinary until it all came to a screeching halt. Yeah. And then it was like, whoa, okay, let's look back at the last 20 years of my life that I can remember. And now I have to analyze this and say, okay, what was, what was going on? What what was healthy? What was not Mm. healthy? And, you know, I'm 49 now. So I've had, what, 27 years to really think about this and to analyze this. I've raised my own Mm -hmm. children. And, um, just yeah yeah it just that still blows me away that at the time i I had no clue really that there was anything Mm. wrong now looking back at it i can recognize very clearly what was going on and what was wrong um but yeah so that's also affected me as as i've been a mother like how i Mm. have mothered how i've parented um yeah, I'm trying to remember what the rest. Yeah, of the no problem. <laughs> so I guess one of the things that I was uh, curious about is in terms of if we think about, I suppose how how you've dealt with difficult challenges, and I've wondered if maybe you know, growing up as kids, mm. we look at one of our parents and maybe even in a subconscious way think, you know, this is the way I'm going to deal with things. I'm maybe I'm going to and be depressed and sort of look at the negative. I don't know that we consciously think that, mm. or it seems like in your case, you were maybe able to say, you know, here's all the wonderful things about my mom and that I loved and whatever, but I'm choosing not to go down that road and to be, um, you know, to make some changes so that I'm able to, um, maybe take the take the positive but those negative things like being in bed for months on end and <clears throat> overcome those mm-hmm. and not not do the same thing for the sake of my kids 
Right. Absolutely. And this very much goes along with, uh, you know, my sisters and I decided that right. we're going to do this different. We're going to, we're going to talk about these things. We're going to be open about it. Um, but that that's easier yeah. said than done, especially you, know, you spend the first 20 years of your life learning behaviors. And then you spend the next 25 years realizing <clears throat> maybe that wasn't the healthiest way, or maybe that was really, really unhealthy. And how do I change that? Right. So um, I had mentioned before that, um, you know, I kind of started developing that whole caretaking mm-hmm, thing as a mm-hmm. child that turned into full-blown codependence um, as an adult after my mom's mm-hmm. death. And so, you know, I came home off my mission and uh, met, met a young man and um, very quickly we were married. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard coming home because I was finally faced, I finally had to face mm-hmm what had happened like head on you know when when you're across the planet and you're just hearing bits and pieces about what's going on with the chaos at home because of your mother's suicide and then you come home and i was actually waking up every morning in her bed because my father had remarried and had a new baby by the time i got home so he and his wife were downstairs in the bedroom downstairs. Of course, all my brothers are all in the bedrooms around. And I was in my mom and dad's old room. So every morning I was waking up in my mom's wow. room. And it was like the first thing I was faced with, this is not right. This is, this is not how my life was supposed to be. This is not how it was supposed to be. So anyways, I, I got married, started having babies of my own. And the codependence didn't stop. I was constantly um, distracted by thoughts of what had happened, thoughts of the injustice of it. Like, how could this happen mm-hmm. to my family? Seeing what my brothers, so I had five teenage brothers now, seeing what they were going through, um, blended families, mm-hmm. tough, super tough. I don't care what situation you are in. Blending a family is probably one of the toughest things you can mm-hmm. do on the planet mm-hmm. to try and do. And for a lot of people, it's not mm-hmm. successful. So I was watching those mm-hmm. dynamics with my brothers and my stepmom and her daughter from a previous marriage. And then now my dad and mom or and stepmom are having, you know, babies. And um, I'm watching all this going on while I'm having mm-hmm. babies. And instead of being able to focus on my marriage, on my relationship with my children, my family, every day, I'm constantly distracted by what's going on down there, what's going on down there, and the injustice, and how wrong this is. And I became a very bitter person, mm. and, um, and, and I, don't, I wasn't a good mom. I, I, I couldn't, I wasn't emotionally available for my kids and my mom, my mom tried to be emotionally available, but I recognize I'm doing the exact same thing mm. she did when it comes to not being emotionally available. And she was dealing with her father's suicide while she was having little mm. babies, right? It was the same thing, mm. almost wow. the same age, almost parallel age when this happened. And I always felt like there was this wall between me and my kids and it broke my heart. Cause I'm like, they deserve better than this, but I don't know how to get past this. Like I really mm. don't know. And um, of course it affected my marriage as well because I had that emotional wall, that emotional distraction as well. And I mean, my husband was dealing with, with his own mm. demons I had no idea of what was going on within mm-hmm. himself. Um, but I was just so distracted by everything, by, by what had happened. And it wasn't until, like I said, it was a good 10 years mm. after my mom died. Um, I met this woman at church and uh, we kind of became friends, but they only lived in our congregation for about four months. And then they moved out. And uh, she would come over to the house. She was older. She was a grandma. She would come over to the house and she would sometimes help me with the kids. And, and she kind of saw what mm. was going on. And um, anyways, it was a couple of years later. One day, she just 
like I said, they had moved away a little bit, uh, kind of out of the area, but not too far. One day she showed up on my doorstep and she said, Angela, I need you to come to this meeting with me tonight. And I was like, <laughs> okay, what's this meeting? And she handed me this pamphlet thing. And it said something about 12 step, mm. like a 12 step program. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not an addict. Like, like I don't need, why are you doing like, yeah. I'm so confused. And she was like, my husband and I are facilitating this program. We've just started it. And the church had just started sponsoring this mm. program. It was, they were actually running it as a pilot okay. program. We were living in California at the time. And um, so the, the church was starting this program. And she's like, please, I, I need some support. I need people to come. We're just trying to get people to come. We're trying to get mm -hmm. this program started. Please, will you come? And I agreed yeah. <laughs> out of a favor for her, right? I'm like, oh, okay, all right. I'll show up, I'm, mm -hmm, I guess, mm -hmm. like whatever. So I got there that night. And I get to the room and, you know, they had the little chairs set up in the little semicircle type of thing. And there was a, a chalkboard at the front of the room and they had this big banner and it had the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous on it. And again, I don't know yeah. why I'm here. I'm like, I'm not an addict. Like, what? <sighs> And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to like people talking about like their experience that they've had so far, you know, following this program. It had been running for about maybe a month, month and a half at that time. Oh, you're breaking up like, a little okay. bit. And I'm reading. Okay. I can hear you now. Um, just when you uh, got to the meeting and they put the 12 steps up on the board and you looked at them and kind of went, okay, I'm not okay. an addict. Like All what's right. going on here? Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So you right. broke up from there. Okay. That's all right. So I'm sitting there. I'm yeah, reading yeah. 12 steps. I start to read them. And something inside me said, you need this. And I was like, what? And so I'm listening and I'm sitting there reading and I'm, and it's like this light bulb is going on in my head. And it was like, you need this. This mm. is the, your answer. And I was like, huh. So I took the book home with me and I started working the program. And I would just wake up. I mean, at this time, my oldest was, I think, eight. My youngest was four. Yeah. So, and I had three kids. So I would wake up, you know, a little early in the morning and I would just, I would read work on the program, you know, you do a little writing, a little reading um, every day for about 15 to 20 minutes mm -hmm. every day. And it was, it was the answer. It really was the answer for me to finally be able to let go all the stuff I'd been carrying those, that burden I had been carrying that responsibility mm -hmm. that wasn't mine that I had been carrying. <coughs> and it was life changing. And it was, it felt almost mm. instantaneous. It was like, as soon as I started to really apply the principles of the 12 steps, which is basically, you know, you have your mm -hmm. higher power. Um, that's the tradition of the 12 steps is that you, you give up this burden, whatever it is, if it's an addiction or if it's an emotional illness, which is what I had, definitely emotional illness mm. and codependency. Um, you know, whatever it is that's weighing you down, you give that up to your higher power. So, of course, for me, my higher power was God mm -hmm. and Jesus Christ. And I was able to kind of go back to that relationship that I felt I had developed while I was in Belgium mm -hmm. on my mission uh, with God. I was able to, to circle around and come back to that and say, okay, here I am again. and. I've taken on all this burden that isn't mine and I need help because I need to do something with it because I really do love my brothers and my, and my little sisters and I love my dad, but I can't be responsible for how they react to what has happened to us. I can't be responsible for what happens to them when it comes to things that are completely out of my control. And 
I was able to finally release that while still being able to show them love. I thought that the way to show them love was to carry this burden Mm. around with me, but it wasn't. And in that process, again, I was able to kind of rejuvenate that relationship I had uh, with my father in heaven and with my savior, Jesus Christ, as well as finally be able to start building a relationship with Mm -hmm. my own children. Cause I finally had, room i had emotional mm, bandwidth available I like that term to let mm-hmm. them in well we yeah yeah much right and and so and then and it also made a big difference within my marriage mm. like i was surprised at what a difference it made that i was able to start to emotionally connect now eventually that marriage did mm. end more because of the demons that he was Mm. carrying that he was not willing to go through the same process to let go. And eventually that ended Mm. our marriage. But for the next 10 years after that, you know, I gave it my all to really, really be there and really, really um, be emotionally available and emotionally well. So, that was like the largest part that I took away from my mom's death from that Mm. experience was learning, you know, learning about codependency, what it is, what it looks like, how it affects people, how it affects our relationships. And then being able to release that and learning how to, to go Mm. through hard times without picking up all these rocks and these burdens that we're Mm -hmm. carrying around with us, that type of thing. So I have gone through some difficult things since then. Um, I actually lost Mm. a child, um, very, very difficult. And then of course, going through my divorce, extremely difficult, fought tooth and nail to not Mm -hmm. have to go through that. But in the end, I didn't have Mm -hmm. a choice. Um, but being able to apply those same lessons to those situations where it's like, I can feel this, I can go through the pain I can recognize it, acknowledge it, and allow it to to do what it needs to do within me for me to be able to get through this situation, and then mm. I can move on. And so, um, yeah, that's probably the biggest lesson that I've taken away from that. Um, when it comes to dealing with things, you know, like my mom, like, you know, with her depression and kind of staying in bed for so long or whatever – there were times when I found myself doing that, um, but it never mm. lasted very long. You know, I remember in high school, like a boyfriend broke out with me or something and just yeah, sleeping yeah. it off. I would say, I got to go sleep it off. And I go to bed oh, okay. for three days, right? Wake up. And it's like, okay, I'm good, right? It's a uh, relatively so, healthy way to you know, deal those with types it. Of things. Yeah. Sometimes you yeah, just got to sleep go. it off, right? So I do, I do use that from time to time, but it's never been something you know, like that. But I don't think that I've had the same physical struggle with mental health that my mom did Mm. to that degree. Um, And I think that also has a lot to do with, you know, now, again, Dave, like what you talk about, about being mentally fit, being mentally well, the different things Mm -hmm. we need to do in society, we, we, we know more now, we know those things more. And so like, when it comes to diet, you know, like I'm careful mm-hmm. with my diet, not a hundred percent perfect with it, but I am careful, you know, that I'm staying away from the processed sugars, yeah. <laughs> not a hundred percent perfect, but you know, staying away from the sugar, staying away from the stimulants. Like I don't do mm-hmm. caffeine, you know, I don't need that up and down in my mind. My mind does not need that. Um, you know, being active, getting outside, getting the sunshine, you know, taking the vitamins, mm. all those different things can affect our mental health. And so I honestly just don't feel like I've had the same struggles mentally just because we know more about these things. And I, I incorporate Mm -hmm. those things as a kind of a preventative measure because I've seen what it can do. I know what, I know what it can do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Excuse me. Wow. 
That's a lot that you've that you've gone through, and I I really uh, appreciate what you've said. And uh, codependency that's not something that I guess had crossed my mind as far as a uh, potential um, outcome of you know the situation that you've gone that you've gone through. But yet, um, wow, what an amazing uh, thing that you were able to recognize. And especially that that woman came to your door that one day and yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And, uh, you know, was able to gently persuade you to come along so that you were able to have that experience. And maybe on another interview or something at some point in time, I'd love to learn more about it. And I know you and I have had the chance to talk about it. And I wonder about that in my own life because, um, uh, my, I, I've been affected by mental health as well, uh, with my mom and, um, you know, kind of the relationship that existed there. And, and I, I don't know, I wonder how, how much the being the oldest child as well, you know, how that's affected me and maybe the emotional bandwidth that at the term that you used there, I loved, um, that I've been able to have, you know, being able to be emotionally available with our children and with, with Amy. And uh, you really caused me a lot of, you know, a lot of thought here. Hmm. You know, how am I doing? So thank you for what you've said there. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Well, I was just going to say, you know, when you think about it, like when something traumatic happens, or even if it's like little traumas, you know, over a long time, a long period of time, I think our natural, our natural reaction is to take mm-hmm. control of the situation. Mm-hmm right? Like, I don't ever want that yeah. to happen again. So therefore, I'm going to control every tiny little aspect yeah. of my life. And and that's where the codependency comes in. And it's, it's just a natural, it's almost like a security mechanism. And, and that's, that's mm. totally natural. I mean, humans, we need security, like for our own physical survival, mm-hmm. our own mental survival, where we seek out mm-hmm. security. You know, I mean, we look at the world and the situation oh, we're yeah. in right now with COVID, right? <laughs> like, what are people willing to do to avoid yep. a virus? <laughs> like, it's a it's a natural security thing, and so if we're, you know, whatever. Anyways, that that can be misused mm-hmm. and whatever. But, um, you know, I used to kind of like beat myself up that I'd gone that far, that I went that that mm. went to that place until I realized, no. It, it was a natural and understandable reaction to what I had gone through, to that trauma mm. that I had received. However, another thing I learned in 12 Steps is that I still had to take responsibility for what that reaction had done to those around me. So I still had to take responsibility for the fact that my very natural reaction had hurt my children. Mm. that I was not emotionally available to my children because of this. And so once I recognized that it was like, okay, Mm. I can fix this, you know, and this is where forgiveness comes in. And my kids are great. I absolutely love them. And I have, as they've gotten older, you know, my daughter now has a baby, um, my first grandchild. And so you talk Mm. about parenting. And I have said to her, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't there for the first Mm. eight years of your life. And she's like, Mom, one, I hardly remember that. And two, you've been there for me for the rest, like, since then. You've been totally in. You've been all in. And and so there's, like, this element of forgiveness and recognition that, hey, we're all human. We all go through stuff that we can't control. But we can be compassionate with each other. And we can take responsibility when we realize that our very natural reaction is still hurting mm. another person. We can take responsibility for that and then move on. And there's that forgiveness and there's that love. And it's just, yeah, uh, although I beat myself up for a while about that, I also realized like I have to have compassion on myself and just recognize like, Something happened to you when you were a 22-year-old girl that you had no control yeah. over. And so, yeah, so 
there's so many different facets to this, right? Like there's so many different elements to it, but um, yeah, it can, it can come out in the end to be a beautiful thing and something that, that makes your relationships with others stronger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I know that I had remembered when you talked about being someone who is bitter for a while. And I thought, you know, I remember Angela telling me that at one point in time and I didn't really believe her (laughs) because you're such a nut. You are (laughs) not a bitter person now. Very much the opposite. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a bitter person now. And believe me, that was like the best burden to let go. Resentment and bitterness. Oh, that's like toxic poison. When I think about that time in my life, it's just like, whoa. And it doesn't, that's not to say that it doesn't creep up once in a while. It still does. And I, and I still, I mean, every day, every morning, you know, I have my dailies, I call them, where I pull out my gratitude journal. I, and it's a gratitude slash anticipation journal. Because mm. I found that not only did I have to be grateful, but I had to have things to look forward mm. to. I had to be looking for the good that is about to happen. Because for a long time, I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Right? Um. And so to get over that, it was like, no, there's going to be good things that are going to happen. Today. Mm. And so I, every day I write my three things I'm grateful for and the three things I'm looking forward to. And sometimes depending on the day, it might be, I'm looking forward to having orange juice at breakfast. Cause that's as good <laughs> as I can see it right now, <laughs> but it does help. It does help. So yeah. And every day I'm looking at, I'm studying some aspect of the 12 mm. steps. Even to um, this day. And I mean, they're like, even to this mm. day, it's been, let me see, when did I start that? I think it was 2005 I started. So what is that? 16 mm-hmm. years later? Every day, just spending a few minutes, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll either listen to a talk that someone has given that relates to one of the steps, or I will read a little quote from somebody and think about that, maybe write about it, that type of thing. Just for a few minutes mm-hmm. every day just to remind myself of where I've been and where I possibly could go again if I ever let myself mm. do that. And just to renew that within my heart that, no, like I had a second chance. I didn't get stuck in that forever. Mm. I didn't have to be there forever. I felt like I got a second chance on life and I need to appreciate that and to continually renew that yeah, within myself. Yeah. What a great way to be able to deal with, you know, such heartache at a young age and, you know, difficulties. And you've been able to turn these things into really, I guess, positives in your life. You've been able to, you know, um, come out such a, an incredible person who's strong and able to, um, you know, focus on those things that really matter. Um, <clears throat> I hadn't planned on asking you more about this, but I did want to ask you. So for someone like me, I know we've talked about this a bit personally before, but I'm also thinking for listeners as well. So it seems to me that, for example, myself could be uh, in a place where I'm maybe struggling with codependency or those sorts of things. Um, and uh, you were able to understand this once you went to this meeting, this 12-step program was introduced to you, something resonated with you. Help me understand if I, because I do, to be real open with with you, I do, when you talked about control, that really resonates with me. I have this high need to control our children. I don't know why, it just, and I, I feel like um, I could be such a better father. I feel like some days I am emotionally unavailable um, and I really have this major desire to improve, but it's like, how do I get there? I'm, you know, can you give me some advice and for listeners who may think, you know, maybe I'm struggling with the same type of thing, this codependence, this whatever it may be. Hmm. I think it's really important and I think, well, this is the beauty of the 12 step program is like each step is very intentional, mm-hmm. right? Where, and some of the steps are pretty much just preparing you okay. for the next step. Okay. So like you, um, you might, you, well, it's, one of the steps is you make a list and make a moral inventory of yourself, right? All the good things about yourself, 
all the things that need improvement mm-hmm. about yourself, right? All the, the good things that you can remember that you've done for other people and maybe all the hurts that you've given to other people, mm. right? Then the next step is you prepare yourself to be able to then give up all those things, mm. right? To give up those, those habits, mm-hmm. those types of things. So that's the beauty of the 12 steps is that it's, it's, kind, it's a very gentle. Mm. To me, it was a very gentle process. And it, in the beginning, you are examining yourself. You are examining why do I have that need for control? What has happened in my life that might have lent itself to that, where I need mm-hmm. control over other people, over situations, or over myself, mm-hmm. right? You know, sometimes it's like, you know, people with eating disorders or whatever, it might be control mm-hmm. over yourself, mm-hmm. right? So why? Where does that come mm-hmm. from? And then as you're writing, as you're going through that moral inventory, you're writing down those things. You're writing down the things that have happened to you that are kind of leading you into that desire mm. for control. And it's a long process. Like when I did my moral inventory, it was about oh, good wow. four months every wow. morning writing. And then, and then sometimes praying like, okay, show me Lord, like what else, what else do I need to do? And it's getting down way down mm. to the root. I've worked with the 12 step program in various ways as a participant, as a facilitator and mm. as a host. In the one that I was most involved with was it was for women who had spouses who were mm. in addiction. So their, their husbands were addicts mm-hmm. to whatever. Whenever someone said to me, it's not working, it always, in speaking to them, this is my experience, maybe other Mm -hmm. people have different experience. It always came down to not being willing to go deep Mm. enough. It can't be a surface thing, especially when you have had trauma or difficulties uh, of a common Mm. nature. It can't be a surface thing. You have to be willing, and this is where the trust comes in, right? In the first few steps, they talk about trusting your higher power. This is where the trust comes in, where you have to believe that you can go as deep as you have to, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to feel it. You're going to feel those emotions. You're finally going to allow yourself to really Hmm. feel it. But it's not until you do that that you can actually get to the root recognize exactly what the issue is and then you can start working on releasing it amending the problem whatever it is you have to do um and so yeah you have to be willing and they use the word fearlessly Mm. do a fearless Mm -hmm. moral inventory like you're not afraid of what you're going to find you're going to find some ugliness there's ugliness in all of us it's just part Mm -hmm. of our human nature Mm -hmm. you're going to find it don't be afraid Mm -hmm. of it it's it's there for a reason. It's there. There are lessons to be learned from mm-hmm. these things, right? And so, yeah, that's definitely. If someone came to me and said, "Like, okay, how do I make the twelve steps work?" That would be the advice I give. Jump in, do it fearlessly. Go as deep as you can with it. Take your time. You didn't get yeah. here overnight. Well, maybe some of no. <laughs> you didn't get here overnight, right? Sometimes we have like traumatic experiences that happen mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. But but yeah. Okay. So if, uh, so I guess one of the thoughts that's been going through my mind as you've talked about it then, and where you really have to go deep on this stuff is maybe, uh, could another way of saying that, could it be, you know, we talk about being vulnerable and honest with other people. Is it sort of like being that way with yourself? Like, you know what, this hurts to think about this childhood experience or whatever, like, <clears throat> as I'm starting to think, it's actually bringing up some emotion for me. So maybe I'm, I'm hitting on this, right? On the right things. Um, yeah. But if I'm understanding correctly from what you're saying, you need to go where maybe you've never gone before mentally thinking about things in your childhood or whatever it's been that have affected you in uh, both a positive but also a negative way and almost acknowledge this happened to me. 
this was difficult, but I need to be able to release it. And the only way I can is to really be honest and not kind of pretend like, oh, that wasn't a big deal. I'll just kind of shut that out of my mind and because it's still there. It's still there somewhere. Absolutely. Yes, you have to be vulnerable and honest with yourself. But what that leads to, when you allow yourself to really feel those feelings, you have such an increased capacity for compassion for other people. Mm. If you're just brushing everything over, oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, I'm done with that. Oh, you know, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Then when someone else comes to you, what is your reaction? Mm. Your reaction is, it doesn't matter. Move forward. Move on. That's not compassion. Mm-hmm. But if it's like, I can sit here with you and I can feel the intensity of what you've gone through. I can feel the intensity of your emotion because of what you're going through right now. And I can just sit here with you in that, just full of love and mm. compassion for you because I've been there too. And I've allowed myself to go there. I've allowed myself to feel that and to be there. That is such an amazing tool. That is such a, that is such an amazing form of mm. service to other people, to our other human beings, other humankind around mm-hmm. us, right? Is to just be there and to be able to be there and to really feel it. And it's a rare thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a rare thing because so often in this world, in our society, you know, it's so fast paced and it's like, yeah, stuff happens or, you know, oh, children are resilient. You know, <laughs> I hate it when people say that. I'm like, no, children are not resilient because if they were, we wouldn't all be in therapy <laughs> later on. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, like we have all these wonderful, like, platitudes but that's not the world does not need platitudes the world needs Mm -hmm. compassion the world needs people who are willing to feel it with each other and then you can move on and you can go find the other person the other people Mm -hmm. who need it right but it's tough it's scary it's tough together but it's so worth it that's cool thank you so much for what you shared today um this has been amazing and quite a learning experience for me, uh, more in depth of what we've talked about in the past. And uh, I so much appreciate you being willing to take your time and to go through these things. And wow, a um, lot to think about. So thank you. Um, I wanted thank to you. just close like we talked about. And I, um, yeah, just going over all the wonderful and things in your life now that are the You've learned so many lessons. You've been able to uh, let go of the bitterness and the codependency and work through that with the 12-step program. Tell us about your life now in terms of what you're grateful for, what's wonderful, how you live with this love and compassion each day that that's uh, so evident in who you are. Okay. I am. Um, yeah, life is good. Life is good. There's always those elements of hard and the the daily frustrations. We all have them, no matter what. Yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, no, life is really good. It's it's just been so it's so different. You know, I look at um at where I am now. You know, five, six, ten years ago, I was like, oh man, I never would have imagined. But so I I have remarried. Um, we've been married for three, almost three years now. This summer will be three years. And um, he is, again, one of those godsends, mm. right? Um, we met in the most fantastic way. We met in the dining car on the Amtrak. Cool. <laughs> so, I won't go into that long story. I love story. the story, though. I wish we had time. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah. <laughs> we were sat together for breakfast. Yeah. We'll put it at that. And that's how we met. Uh, he was from Chicago, and I'm obviously from Alberta. But yeah. Um, and we actually have a, we purchased a bed and breakfast out in Mountain View, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's between Cardston and Waterton National Park. So about 15 minutes from Cardston. So we're running a bed and breakfast. We're welcoming people from all over, well, all over Alberta yeah, anyways yeah. this year, uh, to our bed and breakfast. And um, 
just a relationship that I never imagined that I would be blessed with in this life. He is so honest. He can, um, in his Chicago, Chicago way, sounds like a gangster half the time. <laughs> but, but we, you know, if we have disagreements, we can just talk it out. It's so good. I'm just like, whoa, like this is, nice. this is cool. This is really, really good. Like we can just have conversations and anyways, we're loving it. We're loving life. Um, between the two of us, we've got six kids and they're all off doing their own thing and making their way in the world. And we're like their biggest cheerleaders. cheerleaders. We just love that. And uh, yeah, we have a grandbaby. Nice. So that is, uh, I actually get a couple months with her because um, her parents and her, my daughter and her husband and my little grandbaby are uh, staying in Cardston for a couple of months before they head down to Texas to go to nice. school. So it's good. Life cool. is good. That is so wonderful. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for what you've talked about. And uh, I'm so it's so wonderful to see how, you know, these experiences that are so difficult that can happen earlier in our lives. And yet you've been able to do this, this self-work and to be able to, um, to work through it through the 12 steps and amazing that what you talked about still doing a little bit each day and, uh, you know, to find the happiness and the healing that you're experiencing now and the, the joy. And it's just so inspiring. And so I just want to acknowledge how inspiring you are to me and, um, those things that you've talked about and you've really given me a, a lot of things to think about in terms of my life and how I can, uh, learn from the lessons that you've learned and the things that you've done. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And uh, well, thank you, Dave. And thank you for your work. You know, you know, it's all by the grace of God that we're able to do these things. And I love what you're doing. I love the encouragement that you're giving people. And so I'm, this is, I was just tickled pink when you asked me to, to come do this with you. Cause uh, yeah, I think you're doing amazing work and anything I can do to contribute to oh, that. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you.